It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Wednesday episode of Locked On Raptors, we continue our tour around the Eastern Conference with a look at three new teams who will probably be pretty separate in the standings this season. We're going to talk about the defending East champs, the Boston Celtics, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who figure to be right in the middle of the pack with the Toronto Raptors, and the Washington Wizards, who I kind of had to shoehorn into this exercise in the interest of symmetry. But either way, we're going to talk about those three teams with the Locked On hosts who cover them each and every day, all coming up on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks so much for being here oh like because when i shot i expected to make it so like i don't shoot kind of miss you are locked on raptors part of the locked on podcast network your team every day What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1246 of Locked on Raptors for Wednesday, September the 21st. I'm your host, Sean Woodley, no longer of RaptorsHQ.com. I won't be blogging there anymore, so I'll just introduce myself as Sean Woodley, host of Locked on Raptors, and also go by We the Champs, author of We the Champs, back when the Raptors won the title in 2019. I'll have to work on this intro as I continue to get used to the new normal of no longer being at Raptors HQ, where I have been for eight years. Either way, thank you so much for being here, and uh, excited to dig into today's show. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked on Raptors. You can follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps, and you can go to YouTube and subscribe over there for free to see my mug each and every day. And who wouldn't want that? Maybe just my mom. Either way, let's get to it on today's show. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We're digging into the Eastern Conference opponents of the Raptors once again, and we're talking Celtics. John Corrales will be along later in the show. Chris Manning of Lockdown Cavs, another regular face on the podcast, will be along in the second segment to dig into Cleveland, who I just can't wait to see play the Raptors this year. Is probably my favorite on-court theoretical matchup in the entire Eastern Conference, so That'll be a blast. And then we're going to talk about the Washington Wizards off the top with Ed Oliver of Locked On Wizards making his debut on the podcast. And look, again, the Wizards are not, to me, a very good team. But for the purposes of this exercise, I needed nine different teams to talk about over the course of three episodes. And the Wizards seemed like the easiest one to sort of slot into number 10 in the Eastern Conference. Uh, you know, the, the nine good teams outside of the Raptors. It, it's fine. Whatever. We'll talk about the Wizards. We'll at least uh, stew in the depression that is being a Wizards fan with, with Ed and uh, get into all that. So let's just, without further ado, let's dive in. Ed Oliver of, of Lockdown Wizards on tap first. Dig into the Wizards, Bradley Beal, Chris Stapps, Porzingis, Monte Morris, and all of the other very underwhelming early 20-something mid-lottery picks that they have in their employ. That's coming up right now. All right, kicking off part two of our three-part tour around the Eastern Conference's top teams is Ed Oliver, who covers the Wizards for Locked on Wizards. Ed, thanks so much for being here. The Wizards 
are a weird team in that I wasn't really sure who the last team I should fit into this little format I'm doing all week where I'm talking about the nine other top 10 teams in the Eastern Conference would be. I considered the Knicks, but I also don't trust the Knicks at all. And the Wizards at least seem like they're going to try to win games this year. They bring bring back Bradley Beal. That's a tongue twister on the five-year extension for a lot of money with a no trade clause and all that came baked into that. They have Chris Stapps Porzingis, who in theory is a good player when he's playing. Uh, and, you know, maybe no one wants to be him on their team. Maybe that's a different problem that we'll deal with later. But, uh, you know, they got that. They make the trade for Monte Morris. They have Kyle Kuzma, who was kind of a slept on, very good player last year for the Wizards. Um, so I guess my question to start off here, Ed, is... What's the vibe among Wizards fans? Is there excitement that they're trying this again with a sort of reformed team around Bradley Beal? Or is there disappointment that they didn't move on from Beal when they maybe had the chance and have now kind of locked themselves into Beal for better or for worse for the next five years or so? Yeah, I, I like Brad a lot. He's a great player, a great person. Um, he, I want to say he won the Humanitarian Award one year. He's sure. you know three-time All-Star, All-NBA in 2021 um scored 30 points a game back-to-back seasons but honestly uh, among the fan base if you look on twitter and social media they're pretty down a lot of fans were not happy about him getting that contract um Mm -hmm. the wizards were kind of in a in a space or in a place where they had no choice you know maybe two years ago they they should have hit the rebuild button um when they traded john wall um, but yeah, he not only did bradley gill get brad i'm not bradley gill but bradley bill got 35 percent of the uh, salary cap, he got mm-hmm. he got the uh, five year, two hundred forty million dollar, quarter of a billion dollars, or two hundred fifty dollars, two hundred fifty million dollar deal. Mm-hmm. Um, we found out that he got a, um, or the Wizards released that he got a, a trade kicker, a fifteen percent trade kicker, and yeah. also he got a no trade clause. Yeah. Um, the only players to get a no trade clause, you know, in the history were really you know Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, uh, Carmelo Anthony. And now um, Brad Bill's in that group of guys, you know. So um, it, it's an interesting thing for the for the organization to do. Um, the no clause um, is tough. It gives Bradley Bill a lot of power as well because you know now he can choose where he wants to go if he does want to get traded down the line if it doesn't work out. Because um, you see how things happen with Kevin Durant. You know, even Kevin Durant doesn't even have no call- trade clause. Steph Curry yeah. <laughs> asked for a no trade clause, and he's won multiple championships. And he got denied from the Warriors from for that request. And you know, Bradley Bill's a guy who, you know, hasn't even gotten past the second round. Um, and you could argue, is he a number one option on a team? I don't think so. I think he's a really good number two option. I think he's a really, really good sidekick guy sure. um, next to a number one guy. But yeah, right now the fan base is is, is kind of down. Um, but Porzingis, like you said, if, if he can stay, there's a lot of ifs with this team. If yeah. Porzingis can can stay healthy, he's he's a talent. I mean, he's a unicorn. They call him a unicorn for a reason. So he really is talented. Um, but can he stay healthy for, you know, 65, 70 games in an 82-game season? It's a huge question mark. And then Kyle Kuzma, man, he was a pleasant surprise last year. He played really, really well. For sure. So the tail of the tape on the Wizards last year, they were 35-47. and 47. They end up with the 22nd-ranked offense, 25th defense per clean the glass. Not where you want to be, bottom 10 in both. Like, is there optimism that they can at least be a better team maybe kind of flirt with that end of the play-in conversation it does feel like there's kind of a clear top nine in the eastern conference to me and then i kind of lump the wizards the knicks and then honestly kind of the pistons i I, i'm a little maybe higher on the pistons than most people are they kind of feel like the teams that are going to fight for that 10 spot is there optimism that the wizards can go and be that number 10 team and maybe make their way through the play-in or is it the other side of things where, like, the best case scenario for the eyes in the eyes of some people is they lose a lot of games and end up in the Wembenyami sweepstakes, even if you know maybe they have too much talent to actually bottom out and be the worst team in the league? I think if everything breaks right, they can actually be an optimist. I think they can be a seventh seed okay. or eighth or maybe even a sixth seed. If right. there's a lot of ifs, if, if Kuzma plays really well, if Bradley Bill plays like he did back in 2020 or 2021 next to Russell Westbrook where he had the All-NBA season. If he can bounce back, uh, Kuzma has a great year. And Monte Morris, you know, Brent, they just didn't have a point guard last year, so that was a huge sure. part of it. Uh, Monte Morris is a, is a more of a – he fits more of the need of, of the point guard position that they were looking for. 
Uh, and you got my boy DeLon Wright, the coolest player yeah. alive. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, DeLon Wright in the playoffs, uh, 2018. DeLon Wright, he was he was cooking the Wizards in, in two two games of that series. Uh, so Kelly Oubre needed to retire after getting punked by DeLon Wright of all people in that series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but yeah, we we got some playoff history with you guys. You know, sweeping you guys and then you guys getting us back, and you know, let's go back and forth in the playoffs. We got we got some history with you guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think best case scenario for them is, you know, getting winning wise is, you know, getting that eighth play in or, 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 or maybe even the seventh or sixth seed. I think that's their ceiling, but bottoming it, the worst, their, their floor could be, um, things go wrong. Um, they, they could be in the lottery once again. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened at all. Um, I don't think they'll see the thing is with the wizards, they're, they're, they're in purgatory. They're not bad enough to get Winyan Yaba like you brought up. They're not bad enough to get those guys. You know, the last we we've had we had pick nine with Rui and Denny, and we had pick fifteen with Kispert, and then we just had pick ten with Johnny Davis. So we don't get top five picks. We always get the pick nine, <laughs> pick ten, pick fifteen. That's where we are. We're never either contenders. We're always in the middle. We're in purgatory. We're on a treadmill right now. So that's that's where the Wizards are right now. So I, I, yesterday, just in preparation for this, I decided to go look at the Wizards draft history, which, you know, th- there's some hits in there, a lot of misses as well. The last, what is it, six first round picks for the Wizards. Bear with me as I read them. Jerry and Grant in 2015, <laughs> Troy Brown in 2018, uh, Grant was 19th, Brown was 15th, Rui Hachimura 2019 at 9th, uh, Denny Avdi at 9th, 2020, Corey Kispert at 15, 2021, and then Johnny Davis, as you mentioned, the most recent first-round pick at number 10. For you, Ed, it, it does feel like the Wizards are kind of always in this like wait-and-see mode with all their young guys, and it's like maybe one will hit. Maybe one's going to pop and really kind of become a reliable core piece here. It seems to not really have happened yet with any of these guys. Of that group of guys, obviously we can throw Jerry and Grant and Troy Brown out because they're not the team anymore, but of the last four first-round picks, Davis, Kispert, Avdia and Hachimura, who do you have the most optimism that can actually kind of be that core pillar of the team going forward? If any of them, maybe it's none, but is there one guy in there who kind of stands above the rest that Wizards fans are at least a little more hopeful for? Honestly, if I if I know somebody that's that would, you know, be consistent in their role, mm-hmm. um, I would say Corey Kispert, because okay. you kind of know what you're gonna get from him, you know, a la Doug McDermott or, or Reggie Bullock or Sure. Um, Wesley Matthews, all, all the really good, uh, Kyle Korver, all the really good shooters out there. Sure. Um, Duncan Robinson from the Heat. You know, I think Corey Kispert can be a 50 40 90 guy. Right. So, and you need those guys. You need guys that can shoot the lights out, they can space the floor. So, I would say if I had to bet on somebody's having the highest floor, it would be Corey Kispert. Uh, Boomer Bus is Denny. Um, mm-hmm. I think he, he might have the highest floor, but he has the lowest. I mean, he has the highest ceiling, but he has the lowest floor too. Where right. um, he has to improve on, you know, finishing around the rim and 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 you know making layups and, and dribbling with his left hand. But he's super talented. He's great vision. Um, but honestly, the guy that I think is the most talented right now is, is Rui. And a lot of people disagree with me, but um, he's a guy that's had thirty point games. He's a guy that had a double double in a playoff game against the Sixers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's done on Anthony Davis, Tobias, Tobias Harris. He's a guy that can really score, put the ball in the basket, and, and knows his spots. Um, defensively, he had, a, he had a down year last year defensively. But I think Rui, I just think, I think pound for pound, I think he's the best player. I think he knows he knows his spots. He knows what he wants to do offensively. Uh, I've heard he's, he's looked good in the Wizards mini camp that they had in L.A. They had a players-driven uh, mini camp out there, and I heard that he looked really, really good. So I, I think Rui, if I had to pick me personally, in my personal opinion, Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like Rui the 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 best out of the four. Johnny Davis had an underwhelming summer league, but a summer league, so I don't want to take too much stock right, in it. Yeah. You know, um, so they're they're all like you said, they're all question marks. None of them have really you know separated themselves from from the other right now. They're all good. They're good rotational players right now. We just don't see. I I haven't seen any all star all star potential as of yet. Totally fair. Uh, and I think I'm probably with you that Hachimura kind of feels like the, the highest upside. Maybe maybe yeah, I've kind of always thought mm-hmm. Hachimura is sort of the, the, the most exciting of that group. But, um, you know, they're, they're all kind of similarly very important, it seems, to this team kind of figuring it out around Bradley Beal. If all three could pop, then I'm sure all four, I guess, in Davis's case, then I'm sure Wizards fans would not complain. I'm going to round this out, Ed, with the way I've done it with all the other hosts that we've kind of checked in on here. Uh, three-pronged question. You have to answer. You're on the spot. There's no turning back. 
Uh, give me a wins prediction, a seed prediction, and how far the Wizards will advance in the playoffs, if at all, this coming season. I'm going to say uh, 43-39. and 39. They get the ninth seed. They do um, win in the play-in. Okay. They beat the eighth seed, and they get that play, their last play-in spot. Um, unfortunately, they probably have to play against the Bucks. Uh, first <laughs> round. So it's like, yeah, congratulations, you get to play against Giannis in the first round. So uh, I, I, I can't the really round. envision a team with less to throw at Giannis than the Wizards as it currently stands. So <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> that's not the case. <laughs> oh yeah, you can. Yeah, it's a tough matchup. I would say you can try to mix and match. Denny, Denny did a good job defending Giannis in one game. He was like throwing up. Right. When we had that 10 and 3 start, when Montrezl Harrell was going back and forth with Drake in the first game. I forgot the about the 10 and 3 start. Yeah, that was 10, such a, a wild time. Yeah. yeah, I should have a banner somewhere. The 10 and 3 start <laughs> just hanging up somewhere. <laughs> well, Ed, thank you so much for taking the time, man. It was really great to chat. And I'm sure we'll check in again throughout the season as the Wizards and Raptors surely cross paths in the loaded Eastern Conference over the course of the coming months. Uh, where can people check out your work? Uh, you can check me out on Locked On Wizards um, every day, just just like the Raptors. Three days a week right now, but but five days a week right now. You can check us out on, on YouTube. Uh, the channel is growing on YouTube and wherever you guys can get a podcast, too. Hell yeah, go do that. Ed's awesome, and uh, we will round it out there. Come back on the other side, and we're going to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers, who made some moves in the offseason, one in particular. We'll get to that with Chris Manning of Locked on Cavs in just one sec. Okay, we will continue on with our tour around the Eastern Conference, taking a look at the Cavs in just a sec. But before we do that, got to tell you about our dear friends over at betonline.net, your number one source for all of your pro and college betting needs and sports info this season. Find all the latest football league developments, game matchup news, injury reports, podcasts to make you the informed wagerer each and every Sunday. Bet Online is also your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports is Bet Online. You got MLB, playoffs are coming up very soon. You can put futures bets down on the NBA and the NHL as those seasons get ready to ramp up. You got MMA, boxing, golf, everything else in between. Go put some money on the Blue Jays making the playoffs, been making a run to the World Series. Why not? They're really good. They're mowing down teams right now. Go and uh, scoring 18 runs. Like, yeah, go put in the Blue Jays. That feels like a perfect place to do it. And Bet Online is the place to go. Go and uh, check out everything they have over there on their website or on your mobile device. Learn more about the trends in the action. Bet Online is where the game starts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we will continue on here with our chat with Chris Manning on deck next as we dig into the Cavs. All right, joining me now as we continue our tour around the Eastern Conference is a Tottenham Hotspur fan, man who likes soup. It's Chris Manning. Chris, how are you, pal? Youngman's son, Sean, hat-trick in limited minutes, just launching stuff from outside the box. The Derby after the international break, we're back up. Let's go. We love to see it, baby. We love to see it, truly. Uh, tune into our forthcoming Locked On Spurs <laughs> podcast. Not the NBA one. It'll be a different Locked On Spurs. Yeah. The, uh, or maybe we no, just no commandeer ads. that feed. Yeah, we commandeer that feed. Sorry, Jeff Garcia. We love you, but it's ours now, and we're talking about soccer. All right. Let's talk about the Cavs, shall we? The Cavaliers, of course, made a big trade in the offseason. A little trade you might have heard of it. Donovan Mitchell is now on Cleveland, going the other way. Lowry Markinen, Donovan Mitchell, who really cares what else? Whole bunch of picks. And uh, did I say Donovan Mitchell was going the other way? Colin Sexton's going the other way, of course. I'm a fool. Um, but either way, Donovan Mitchell is now on the Cavaliers, comprising a big four alongside Darius Garland, Devin Mobley, Jared Allen. And we'll talk about the rest of the roster. That's where it kind of gets a little bit thin. But the Mitchell trade. Chris, 
I, I think most reasonable people are not pick-hungry freaks like Danny Ainge or Sam Presti or whomever, and so they tend to say, oh, you traded a whole bunch of picks for the very good player. The team that got the very good player won the deal. Uh, what was your reaction to the Mitchell deal? Did you think it was a good price for the Cavs? Were you surprised the Cavs were the team that kind of pulled the move at the time they're at in their trajectory as a squad? Where were you at with your sort of inst- instant and now, I guess, further removed reactions and feelings on the Mitchell deal? Yeah, it's it's a big swing, right? I mean, you know, I'm, I agree with you on the picks. I think ultimately, like, if you're going to make a play for someone at this level, you know, a top 20-ish player, I think a top 10-ish offensive player, like three picks and mm-hmm. and a guard who you don't need anymore because you're getting Donovan Mitchell, who's better at everything than, than Colin Sexton is, and a, a first-round pick who might be fine at Ochai Abaji and, and Markkinen, who, who was good for them last year, but I think certainly was not going to be like a, a locked in piece long term. I think you do it right. Like I, th- I think ultimately, you know, you could look at maybe other options like in theory would DeJounte Murray maybe fit cleaner with Darius Garland. Yes. But I think if you look at what the Cavs were last year, a defensive first team that really needed some more offensive juice down the Mitchell makes a whole lot of sense. And I, and I think he raises the ceiling. And I think if you're the Cavs, it's also just like, look, Mitchell's 26 and he's the old guy of the core they have now with Allen, with Mobley, with Garland. Like they feel very poised for what to come. So it's, it's an absolute no to remember, especially as the, especially because it just seems like they waited it out and the Knicks didn't like do it. So they, they didn't have to like go every, every, every pick a lot like the, the Kawhi trade or whatever. Like they, they, I think they got Mitchell at a pretty reasonable price. Yeah, I think that is uh, totally the right read on the situation. And the one thing I certainly don't care about is whether or not this means the Cavs can win a title this year or next. Because that, who cares? Like, sometimes there's nobility and just being a really good team that's around Mm -hmm. and matters. And the NBA is not a league where you go and just, like, you can hinge all your hopes on winning a title. It's just not how it works. A third of the league has never even won a title before. And so setting yourself up for multiple years of exciting and fun basketball, similar to what the Wolves, I think, did, is a totally reasonable thing to do, even if it costs you a lot or, you know, perceives you perceive it to be a lot if you're a pick-hungry freak or whatever. Uh, I think it was totally a good move for the Cavs and one that certainly infuriated me as a guy who roots for a team that is going to be directly opposed to the Cavs likely for the next foreseeable future in an Eastern Conference that has, I think, a few young teams that are kind of on the rise and will sort of take the reins of power, if you will, in the coming years. And I think the Cavs and Raptors are certainly part of that group. Uh, Quick look back at the tail of the tape for the Cavs last year. They were 44-38. and They lost in the play-in and did not make the playoffs proper after being very, very fun and an up, you know, an upstart story for most of the season in that playoff range where the Raptors actually ended up at number five. They were the number 19 offense and the number six defense. And of course, they suffered a lot of injuries, uh, especially when it came to missed time from Jared Allen. And, you know, Colin Sexton can't be left out of that, too. They started the season with Colin Sexton and then did not finish it with him. And so the injury thing certainly brought, I think, the win total for the Cavs down a little bit here. But I, I guess... My question to you is, Chris, with Mitchell now added to this group, with the holes that exist in terms of like on the wings and stuff, like where are you kind of penciling in this Cavs team just among the tiers of the East? Like, are you throwing them into the contender bucket? You could argue that they have enough high-end talent to be part of that conversation alongside, say, the Nets or the Sixers. I think I probably think that's a little too strong right now, but where would you kind of slot them in as, like, among the East hierarchy? Are they a little bit better than that next seed of teams? Like, where are you at with them so far, like, going into the year? First off, bold of you to consider the Nets a real basketball team. Um, In theory... There are. I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. We need, I, need, I, need, I need to, like, see that Kyrie Irving's on this plane of existence before, like, I consider the Brooklyn Nets a real basketball team. But <laughs> I, I think they're not in the top top here. I think, like, for me, it's Milwaukee and Boston are clearly the best two teams in the conference. Those are number mm-hmm. one and two. I think Milwaukee, for me, is the best team in the league coming into the year. Yep. Um, I would say Philly just kind of because of Embiid, where it hardens. Like, I think they're probably third. And then I think like four through nine, it's like you could convince me of a lot of different things. I think sure. I I think Cleveland's going to end up four or five. I think number one, they have incentive to win regular season games. Some of these other teams maybe don't. They can Miami say, okay, we'll take a rest. We'll kind of pull sure. back a little bit. Um, 
I think like over like they're at forty six and a half as as far as over under. I think like hit the hitting the over on that would make some sense to me. I think this is not the contending year, as you kind of said. It's not the important question. I think the question is, can they get to fifty wins? Can they get you know an advantageous or at least a good a well matched first round playoff series? And I think the answer there is yes. I think top four with the defense that is still maybe takes a slight step back just because of the personnel changes, but it is also built around Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. And then the offense goes from like just a tad uh, from a tad below average to, you know, above average. And I think Sean, the the, the Raptors games from last year that are in my head are mm. maybe examples of where the Cavs can go right because they really struggled against a team that could pressure them, against a team that could really try to grind them into a half court game and then attack them and, and attack them by virtue of their half court offense not being very good. Donovan Mitchell is going to solve a lot of those problems, <laughs> and Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland together help solve a lot of those problems. So I think there's a lot of reason to think they should be much better than last year, providing good health and all that. But I think I, I'm I think top four in the East is is pretty realistic. I think so, but I think four to I think I think the Bulls are kind of at the bottom for me as of right now. But I think like four through seven feels like a pretty reasonable area for them to kind of end up in. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess my question to you is, Chris, how worried are you about the lack of wing defense on this team? Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, great offensive players. That feels like maybe one of the biggest barbecue chicken-ass backcourts in the entire NBA defensively. But of course, behind them are Evan Mobley and Jarrett Allen there to mop up all the messes, the greatest custodians that ever existed. I'm curious, like, can Mobley and Allen, like, uphold this defense on their own? Or are you worried that that lack of wing defense is going to become a problem, especially in a conference where you've got the Celtics loaded with wings? You've got Giannis and Middleton and Drew Holiday on the Bucks. You've got, I guess, James Harden and Tyler Maxey going, you know, for the uh, the Sixers. You've got Kevin Durant. You've got Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam. Like, there's not exactly a dearth of good wing play and sort of ball-dominant wing play in the Eastern Conference. Do you feel like that could be a bit of an issue for the Cavs, either in the regular season or come playoff time? I, I think I think playoffs is probably the bigger concern, right? Like, I think, you know, how they would defend Jan, or defend, like, Middleton in that series is, like, a tricky question because I think, mm-hmm. like, Allen's probably getting the honest assignment. I think... I think, you know, maybe obviously Boston would be the kind of the big one there just because of they have Tatum and Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there are two things that I would I would kind of say. Number one, I think is his offense is a concern. Mm-hmm. Okoro is at least like a solid enough defender, like not going to generate a ton of steals, not going to generate a ton of like added value that way. But he's going to hold up very well, particularly at the mm-hmm. point of attack. I think that gives you some cover to like do some mismatching. Um, I think number two. Evan Mobley is an alien. And if you go back to how they played yeah. last year, what they did with Lowry Markkinen at the three was Lowry, they just switched everything, basically. What, right. what they decided to do is say, okay, you want to run a pick and roll at us? Here's Evan Mobley. Here's Jared Allen. <laughs> and I think they will do a lot of that. Now, is that asking like a lot of those guys? It absolutely is. We saw the downsides of where that could go. And even if they got better better in depth this year in Robin Lopez, like that's not a sustainable think for you to do if you have injuries and that that creates i think some complications as you go and i think long term finding a three like if they could clone og and anubi perfect <laughs> like that that's like the exact kind of like role player you'd want to slot in i think alongside what they have right yeah. um or like a slightly like more wing mobile grant williams is kind of like i think what you're looking for i think what you're i think they can survive but the one i also i also think he said that his um press conference when he was introduced I think they're going to ask more of Donovan Mitchell defensively. He right. was awful, obviously, in the playoffs last year. He's not. That's that's in- putting it generously. Yes, he was not. <laughs> he, he was very very bad in against. Please, Lucas, score some buckets. <laughs> yes, like Rudy, like he was awful, horrendous. Um, has not been a particularly good defender in his NBA career. I think what they're hoping is two things. Number one, go back to his scouting reports, and I was talking to um, some of our lockdown draft experts about this. Like he was like a considered like a good defensive prospect coming out. Yeah. Can you tapping into that t- tapping into that amount? And secondly, I don't. I think JB Bickerstaff's going to demand that of him. And, and right. Mitchell himself said he has to be better than into the floor. So, like, let's see where that goes. I think that's part of it as well. But I think, I think in particular, Mobley is so special. You're gonna, they're gonna do some stuff. 
so let's talk about Mobley to round this out. Uh, he's very good, of course. Came second in Rookie of the Year to Scotty Barnes. Second, remember, Scotty Barnes won the award. Uh, <laughs> um, to be, to be, Evan Mobley should have won it. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I, if he like uh, maybe ran some offense or something like that, that'd be cool. Uh, let's. All, uh, all, all we can leave the award that had some injuries, Sean. We can leave the award that no one is actually going to think about in ten years when these guys are like two of the ten well, best Rock, players. Rocket alive. fans, Rocket uh, fans are like Sangoon didn't win it. This is rigged. So, you know, yeah, we can all agree Rockets fans are delusional. Uh, but the question about Mobley is like, what should we expect from his development this season? Obviously, he was already like a transcendent defender last year. I would imagine he's going to, you know, shoehorn his way into the all defense conversation you know, as soon as this season, he's ridiculous on that end of the floor, as you mentioned. Uh, but the offense, I'm kind of curious about because with Mitchell and Garland now, it feels like maybe there'll be a little bit less in terms of opportunity for Mobley to kind of flex those on the ball muscles, uh, which I think we've kind of seen spurts of and, you mm -hmm. know, the summer stories of him in runs kind of having the ball in his hands have been pretty intriguing as well. What is like the base reasonable expectation for year two Evan Mobley, I guess, on both sides of the floor? I think defensively, all defense level is what you're you're going for. I think that's very clearly it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think there's like a reason to think there's going to be at all of a drop off there. I think he's gonna like contend for defensive player of the awards. He's that good. Mm -hmm. I think offensively is the, the interesting part because there's there's you could make the argument that if he just gets better at what he did last year, the pull ups. Um, some of the the posting up he did, some of just the the rim running and finishing of that, some of the stuff improves. Then like his offense goes from just sort of like mild contributor to like pretty competent, mm -hmm. um, and plus the passing and all that stuff. If the three stuff happens, that's the case. I think there's a case that like if he gets stronger and can handle some of the and can bully some teams when they try to switch or put a wing on him or whatever. I think there's things you can do there to add points for Evan Mobley. Um, I'm ex but it's like I, I think there's no reason if it's handles a little tighter too, I think that's another thing to look out for. But I, I think a leap is is likely, right? Like mm -hmm. I I think from I, the summer stuff is always hard to, to take because like it's it's summer and it's like you're not seeing the full workouts, you're not seeing like everything he's working on and we'll see what he when he shows up at Media Day in, in about a week's time, he's not gonna say very much because Evan Mobley like doesn't say very much. We might get more information about his summer from his brother than uh, <laughs> we will from him. But like he a leap is likely. I'm curious to see if it takes on role. I, I I think the point about flexing his muscles injuring Sean because I almost wonder if it's better for him in some ways that the the pressure isn't on him to have to do a lot of right now. And it's it, sure. I think with Scotty, it like it helps Scotty that he has Van Vliet and it helps him that he has Siakam and like a competent offensive system. I think mm -hmm. Mitchell and Garland and Allen, like t in particular Mitchell and Garland, take pressure off Moby to have to do it all right away and allows him to kind of find himself in a reasonable amount of time as the Cavs ascend. Um, he, in my mind, he'll probably be the best player on the team in a couple of years, but I think this kind of means he doesn't have to rush into being the offensive hub that, that he's probably not ready to be yet. Yeah, that's totally fair. I, I am excited to watch Mobley this year. I'm excited to watch the Barnes-Mobley rivalry continue to kind of burgeon because those games last year were super fun. And uh, whatever you think about the Rookie of the Year race last year, like it's undeniable both guys rock. And that's yes. kind of what matters most. Last one for you here. I've been asking this to all of the hosts who I brought on, Chris. It's binding. You can't go back on your answer. You just got to give your answer. Give me a win total prediction, a seed finish, and the level of advancement in the playoffs the Cavs will achieve this year. 50 wins, fourth seed, mm -hmm. second round of the playoffs. All right. That interesting stuff. I think they're going to lose in the first round, but that's uh, that, 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 that's one of those like... Here's, the East is a bloodbath. But I it think sucks. like Yeah, it's it, a nightmare. It's a yeah. waking nightmare every single day. Yeah. Like the Raptors could, <laughs> like one of these teams is going to, like the Hawks could like have done all they did in the offseason and win like 45 games and be like yep. pretty good. And then it's like, ah, yeah, you're in the play-in. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like going to be a nightmare. Good. East is good. East is really good. And uh, yeah, I, I do think like the wing defense thing will probably be an issue come playoff time, but that's for future us to worry about. We're going to be watching these games, uh, I think, very intently throughout the year. We'll have many check-ins, of course. Opening night, Raptors-Cavs, October 19th. That's going to be a whole lot of fun. We will chat with you then, Chris. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Sean, can't wait to do it again and, and talk more Tottenham. Absolutely. Uh, coming up next, we will finish up the show with our chat with John Corrales of Locked On Celtics. That's coming up in just one minute. 
We will close out the show in just a sec with a chat with John Corrales, our dear pal, the only acceptable Celtics fan, and we'll talk about the Boston Celtics and what they're looking like going into the year. Before we do that, however, make sure to go check out the Locked on NBA Top 50 Players over on the Locked on NBA YouTube channel and on the podcast feed. 50 players as ranked by Bet Online as the players who move the lines the most on a given night if they're in or out of the lineup, and uh, it's really great. We have all 50 teams, all 50 hosts, or wait, all 50 players being discussed by all of the local hosts of the network. I'm in there three different times talking Scotty Barnes and Fred Van Vliet in the first edition. I believe will be in Pascal Siakam in the third edition of that as well. Uh, he should be in the fourth edition in the top 20, but hey, we can argue about that later. I, either way, <laughs> go check out the Locked at NBA Top 50 Players wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube over on the Locked at NBA channel. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, joining me now as we continue our tour around the Eastern Conference ahead of the 2022-23 season is the host of Locked On Celtics, the only acceptable Celtics fan covering <laughs> the only team that won more games in the Eastern Conference than your Toronto Raptors did after January 1st last year. Of course, the defending Eastern Conference champion Celtics is John Corrales. How's it going, pal? That's uh, going great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and uh, the Celtics seem to be doing pretty all right as well. Uh, I want to talk about their offseason edition of Malcolm Brogdon and what that kind of means going forward, but I guess just sort of the big question on my mind is the Celtics were, of course, like a 500-ish, very disappointing team going into the deadline. It was like, oh, are they going to trade Jalen Brown? Are they going to do something <laughs> crazy? Uh, I certainly was hanging around in the trade machine, being deplorable and all that around that time myself. <laughs> And uh, as it turns out, the Celtics figured it out, and they were an absolute buzzsaw in the back part of the season. They finished 10th in offense and 1st in defense, but in the second half of the year, they were 2nd in offense and 1st in defense by a mile. They were blowing everybody out. It was ridiculous. Jason Tatum found himself a new level, and they made their way all the way to the NBA Finals, even though it was a little bit dodgy there against the injured Bucks and an even more injured and old and busted Heat team. They got there. They lost but still they were fantastic so I guess my main question John is like how real was the heater they got on in the back part of the year last year is that something sustainable over the course of 82 games and if not like what do you sort of see as maybe the potential maybe red flags maybe like orange flags because I don't think this team is like that many red flags they're very very good and it makes me angry all the time when I think about it but uh, like how sustainable was that back part of the season and run through the playoffs to you I I could hear the pulling of teeth. Oh, it sucks. Every, I hate every, the praise. It's every, terrible. <laughs> every attempt at some sort of compliment. It was. I mean, I feel like my face is still stinging from all the backhanded compliments that were thrown <laughs> the Celtics away. How real was that run? Um, I mean, it certainly seemed kind of outrageous that they were doing everything that they did, considering how bad they looked earlier in the season. I do think that there were injury and COVID issues that certainly held them back. Uh, first year head coach, they, you know, getting, getting acclimated there and, and they missed Jalen and uh, Al Horford missed significant time in training camp due to COVID. And then Jalen missed a bunch of time doing a hamstring early on. So I think that held them back a little bit. So I don't think the early struggles were quite uh, – they they weren't as bad as they looked at that point. And then they turned things around, and 
that momentum just carried them through. And I'm sure people want to say they, they, they couldn't have been as good as they looked because you don't look at that team and say, well, that that's a historically good team. They're mm -hmm. a good team. There are a lot of good players, but they had everything working and everything went right. And, you know, they got healthy at the same time and they got rid of Dennis Schroeder and, and the offense started. <laughs> The, you know, the, the medicine that fixes everything. It's the, the, yeah, the getting one pill to fix it all is bye-bye Dennis Schroeder. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay. That's that's great. So good luck to Dallas <laughs> on that one. But um, yeah, the things snapped into place and Ime pressed the right buttons and yeah, everything looked great. Now, the, this is going to be a really interesting training camp in the beginning to the season because everything that, that went well last season – can you duplicate that? Can can they come in and, and start that from the beginning? And what what will the expectations do to this team? That's one of the things that I've been talking about and writing about early on. The expectations on this team now are, oh, okay, you're awesome. So congratulations, you're the betting favorite, and everybody thinks you're going to go back. Mm -hmm. Well, there's how how do the expectations work with these guys? You know, can can Al Horford? He's, he's going to be thirty. He's thirty six. You know, if, if they go to the finals, he'd be 37 in the finals. That's that's a big ask for him. And he was so huge for what they did. And can can Tatum and Brown and those guys play the right way, or are they gonna start chasing individual stuff? Is is the is the are the bright lights going to kind of blind them or will it will they be fueled by the loss? There are certainly a lot of questions. Can can they be the best team in the league again? Uh, certainly, certainly they can, but I'm not going to say that there aren't pitfalls potentially this season for the Celtics. They, they, there are a lot of trappings that come with what they just did and throw in the short turnaround and, and all of that. There are questions They're They're certainly going to have to prove that they were as good as they were at the end of last season. They're going to have to prove that again. I want to ask about Malcolm Brogdon because that was the trade from the offseason and the, just the, the move in general that drove me the most insane because it was a very good player <laughs> goes to the Celtics in exchange for nothing. 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 All yeah, these yeah, dudes yeah. are just going to wave. Nick Stauskas was one of the primary pieces going in return for Malcolm Brogdon, who Raptors fans recall is not a picnic to play against in the postseason. Like he is yeah. going to knock down big shots. He can be a good point of attack defender on guards. He has a lot going for him. Of course, things haven't gone super well for him the last couple of years in Indiana. Lots of injuries, maybe a bit of just sort of downturn in his play overall. And there's always been this kind of vibe from Malcolm Brogdon that he perceives himself to be the lead ball handler on a team. That's not going to be his job on the Celtics. That's Jason Tatum and then Jalen Brown and then everybody else. Those two guys were in the yep. 97th percentile each in terms of usage. Like, that's what the Celtics do, but... That extra ball handling from Brogdon certainly is going to come in handy, especially for a team that doesn't have a ton of it and really asked a lot of Marcus Smart, who everyone loves, but that's a dangerous game to play. What does Brogdon bring to this team? And do you think they'll be able to acclimate him to like a six-man role where he has less responsibility? What has he been saying about adopting that rule? Or is that something that's going to be maybe a potential cause of discord within the locker room with a guy who maybe fancies himself more than the role he's going to be asked to play for the Celtics team? Well, I mean, everything that he's said has pointed to he's, he's cool with it. He's cool with right. this role. I also think he's cool with this role because he also knows that it's not your typical six man role. Sure. Like he's, he's going to get starts. Marcus smart's going to miss time. You know, Jalen Brown's going to miss time. Jason Tatum's going to miss time for, you know, e even if it's just sitting on back to backs to the point where I think that Malcolm Brogdon may get to the point where he's a six man of the year candidate, but sure. there will be the conversation at some point in March where they say, did he start too many games to be a six man? I, I do think that that's possible <laughs> because he's going to probably be the guy that they stick in no matter who on the perimeter sits. You can start him at the point. You can start him at the two. You can start him at the three even. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of why they got him so they can have that versatility. Why not have another ball handler? Sure, Marcus Smart could be your primary ball handler and initiate the offense, but you're working around to Malcolm Brogdon after a few swings and you run a pick and roll with Robert Williams, that's just fine. Mm -hmm. So I think he's going to be okay with the role because he's probably going to finish games and he's going to start plenty and maybe taking a step back as far as all of the usage 
isn't so bad for a guy that's had dealt with the injuries. Mm-hmm. Now, the other element to that is we saw Ime Udoka in his first season rely heavily on Tatum and Brown, like you mentioned, usage-wise and as, as the primary ball handlers. My big question for Ime is how much of that was just that was his best option last year and how mm-hmm. much of that is this is how I choose to play offense with this team. I think that with more versatility and more ball handling, that he may take the ball out of Tatum's hands and out of Jalen's hands a little bit to kind of level it out. So you're not driving those guys into the ground by forcing them to do everything, play them off the ball more and have, Hey, you got Malcolm Brogdon, who's, you know, hell of a pick and roll guy. And you got Marcus Smart, who's a really good pick and roll guy. And you got guys on the team that can get the ball to shooters and scorers that they can they can run some actions with Jalen and Jason kind of playing off of each other off the ball and get them the ball on the move and they can probably score a little bit more easily. It takes a little bit of the pressure off of them. So I'm I'm very curious to see what year two of Ime Udoka mm-hmm. is as far as running the offense. We we've got one data point with him <laughs> and we saw what this one year was. I don't know what year two is going to be or year three. There's there's certainly an evolution and the different types of players that he has will determine how he decides to, to run his offense. So I think Brogdon's going to be a big part of kind of branching out for the Celtics offense. John, do you have a favorite like on-court storyline you're kind of keeping tabs on going into the season? Maybe it's like a personal developmental arc you're particularly keen on, uh, you know, some sort of lineup machinations we, we might see. Like what to you hmm. is sort of popping out as like an interesting on-court question going into the season? Probably a couple. Uh, as far as lineups go, I'm I have in my head that there's the possibility of a Marcus Smart, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, super small lineup with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So Tatum would be your five, and you just run a bunch of like the most versatile defenders you can throw out there and mm-hmm. switching everything with almost no weakness aside from maybe Derek White against a, 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 a anybody with some size. Uh, but other than that, it, that's a, that's a lineup that I'm very curious to see how it might get deployed because tons of ball handling there, tons of scoring, tons of passing, defensively extraordinarily switchable. But, you know, on paper, I sit there and I think there are going to be moments where that's going to be very dangerous. But I want to kind of see it in practice because I think there, there's certainly going to be weaknesses that get exposed there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other on-court thing that I'm – I'm fascinated and it goes along with my point about Ime Udoka's evolving offense is Robert Williams. And God, he terrifies me, man. I, <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> well, that's and that's that's part of why I'm I'm kind of curious about his, you know, what he's gonna be this year because the last season of Brad Stevens, we saw a lot more um a lot more Robert Williams high post picking picking teams apart a little bit with his passing running some actions to try to get some backdoor cuts. Uh, and and he can he can really he's he is an extraordinary passer. And mm-hmm. I don't think that his passing was utilized nearly enough this past season. So I'm very curious to see how the Celtics expand his role offensively. There was a point last season where Emi Odoka said flat out it would suck if all Robert Williams ever was known for was just being the lob guy. So mm-hmm. he wants he he wants Rob to expand his game a little bit. Now, obviously, the threat of the lob is what gets you to react the way you just did. You know, he you run a pick and roll with him, and it's like, all right, he, if he sets a good screen, you're toast because he's gonna he's gonna spring somebody. And if that big steps up, just all he needs to do is flinch. And if it's Marcus Smart, he's he's really good at reading that and he launches that alley oop to a place where only Rob can go get it. That's extraordinarily dangerous. But there's more to Rob's game. There's more to unlock in Rob's game. And I think you could get to a point where you can consider a true big three being Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Robert Williams. But he's he needs to expand his offense. And he, he needs to do other things defensively that keep him out of danger, out of harm's way. Like, just don't, don't jump all the time because every jump and landing just becomes dangerous for a guy like him. So I, I'm 
I'm fascinated to see what the Celtics do with Robert Williams this upcoming season because I just think that there's so much more that he can do. Yeah, he uh, he's a problem, man. I uh, I don't much care for it, uh, personally speaking. Uh, let's uh, finish this up with the three-pronged question that I've thrown at every single host who's joined me on these little whips around the Eastern Conference. The answer is binding. You can't change it. It is in stone. Uh, you have to tell me, give me a wins prediction for the Celtics this oh. year, a seed in the Eastern Conference, and to the round to which they will advance in the NBA playoffs. What you got? Well, I think there's pressure on these teams at the top now with all of these teams getting better. You know, we talk about Philly mm-hmm. getting better and Cleveland getting better and Toronto Raptors aren't being discussed a whole lot, but they're always, you talk about being annoying and like just. They're never not good, man. They're just always they're good. It just, just doesn't it matter, man. They <laughs> yeah. just always, they always find a way to make life hard on you. And I never want to play the Raptors. So, um, and and we're talking about that as a potential first round matchup. If you're if you're the one or the two seed, the way things go, if if Toronto manages to get to like the seventh seed, which sounds mm-hmm. outrageous, but East is so good, that's gonna be that's not a gimme first round series. So yeah. I I think the win total will be depressed. I think maybe in other circumstances the Celtics could have been. You might talk about a sixty win team. I don't think they're gonna be a sixty win team. I think they're gonna be like 56, 57 which will be good enough for a top two seed. I'll, I'll, I'll give them the two seed. Um, but I will say that what the hell they're going to get back to the NBA finals. There you go. Uh, I think they will lose to the bucks in the conference finals, but that's fine. Reasonable people can disagree. And uh, healthy Chris Middleton might have something to say about that. Uh, I know Celtics fans love that common refrain. Uh, <laughs> John, man, this was great. Thank you so much for, for jumping on the podcast. As always, I'm sure we'll talk plenty this year as the East is going to be a bloodbath. The Raptors and Celtics, I'm sure, will play some very nasty games where the scores are low and the elbows are high and all that good <laughs> stuff. So we'll, uh, we'll get to that. But yeah, where can people check out your work in the meantime? Well, my writing is on the Boston Sports Journal, so that's uh, where every every written element of my Celtics coverage will be obviously locked on Celtics. Wednesdays on Locked On NBA. So I promise I'll talk about the Raptors once in a while on Locked On NBA. There you go. I, that's the nice thing. I got a line with you. I got Nick Angstad, who I got a text on. I'm constantly just feeding Raptors propaganda whenever uh, <laughs> things need to be said on Locked On NBA. I'm the liaison. Uh, But no, thanks so much, man. That's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back again on Friday as we dig into the Nets, the Sixers, and the Bulls to close out our whip around the East's best teams. And uh, with that, thank you so much. Go make your second listen of the day. Locked on Blue Jays as the Jays continue to trudge towards the playoffs. It's very exciting. I'm having a great time. So go and listen to Locked on Jays as Ben and Matt over there are uh, helping you as John winces because he's thinking about how terrible the Boston Red Sox are. 28 to 5, baby. We love it. Uh, We'll wrap it there. Talk to you again on Friday. Bye-bye. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.